The following message was recorded at Shades Valley Community Church in Homewood, Alabama. For more information and resources from Shades Valley, please visit us at shadesvalley.org. So the year was 2011. The season was the summertime. And the person involved in this story is me. And the place is a house in London, England. I had the privilege of studying abroad in London. In particular, it was a class on church planting movements in that great global city. I had a chance to spend time with different church planters who were doing ministry in what some consider to be a post-Christian culture. And we were there, and my wife Mandy was there with me. This is summer of 2011, and that morning... Mandy wasn't feeling particularly well. I don't know if it was the travel. I don't know if it was the food. I'm not, I'm not sure exactly what the deal was, but she wasn't feeling particularly well. So, so I went across the city for this meeting. Mandy decided to stay back at the home uh, where we were staying. And when I came back that afternoon, I walked in the door. I looked my wife Mandy in the eyes, and she had an unmistakable look in her eyes. And I said to her, did you take the test? And she shook her head at me. <laughs> it was a look of joy, I think. And I said, you're pregnant? And she shook her head at me. And in that moment, in a way, and I, can still, I still can see where I was, I can still feel what it felt like. I felt this joy come into my heart and my soul. It was like someone had cracked a window in a stuffy room and, and cool air of joy came rushing in. There was a deep and profound gladness in this moment of the grace of God. There was a deep confidence in my heart in the fulfillment of God's promises. I felt joy rush in. Now, I tell you that this morning because in our sermon text, we have a scene where someone learns of a pregnancy, except it's exactly the opposite. Instead of joy rushing in, joy flees away. We get the story of Joseph hearing about a pregnancy. And I think in this story, if we examine it closely... I think we actually see a pattern for how our God works in the world. That's the main thing I want you to hear this morning. I want you to hear this morning, if you don't hear anything else I say, I want you to hear this morning that joy will be yours fully and finally one day. And joy can be yours in the here and in the now. So let's take a look at this story from my Vantage point, this story really has three movements. We have Joseph and we have his situation. And I want to talk to you about Joseph and his situation. And I want to ask you a couple questions about you and your situation this morning. In this story, we have the promises of God, which I think show us a pattern for how God works in the world. And then in this third movement, I think we get to see a picture of joy. And in the joy that will most certainly be yours one day. So let's take a look at it one thing at a time. 
Let's talk about Joseph. Let's talk about his situation. Look with me in verse 18 of Matthew chapter 1. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph. Betrothal in the world of the first century was a lot like engagement. Except it was more serious and it was legally binding. To be betrothed to someone was to be engaged to them and to be one with them in really every way except for the living under one roof and except for the sexual relationship that would begin. Joseph in his world is living in many ways the good life. See, in the ancient world and in the first century world, in the world of the first century Jew, to leave your father and mother's home, to build for yourself a house to go take a bride and bring her to your home to begin a life in living in the gladness and the deep and profound gladness of the grace of God to begin to enjoy and live fully, confidence in God's promises. It's what Joseph is beginning in this scene. And then the story goes terribly wrong for Joseph. Look at what it says next. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to to Joseph, before they came together, Matthew wants to tell you that emphatically, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. You know, sometimes I think when we read Christmas stories, you know, they're kind of overshadowed by glitz and, and, and glitter and holly jolly things. But can we just be really honest for a second about what's going on here? Just be really honest. Joseph, in this moment, discovers that the woman that he is engaged to is pregnant. And he knows. He knows that he has not yet been with her. This only means one thing. Actually, it could mean multiple things, but for his purposes, it means one thing. The joy in his life has been sucked out the door. Like the joy came rushing in the window for me, the joy goes rushing out for Joseph. I mean, when you strain your ear to listen to this story, you can almost hear the joy flee the room with a suctioning noise, can't you? Listen to the sound of the joy leaving Joseph's life. First of all, there's the deep, deep, deep shame that Joseph would have experienced. See, this is village life in the first century, and the honor and shame dynamics are almost something we can't even begin to get our minds around. But the deep Shame, living in a small village like Nazareth, where your life is completely and utterly public all the time. Some of you guys may have grown up in a very small town, and do you know how in small towns everyone always knows your business? It's even more so in Nazareth. And shame comes rushing into his life, deep shame, because the woman to which he is engaged, she's become pregnant. The kind of things that would have been said about him. That's that's the next thing that would have happened. The kind of accusations either about him and his unfaithfulness to God's standards 
or the terrible accusations that you can imagine that would have been said about her. Those things come rushing in. Joy out, those in. The gladness, the deep and profound gladness with regard to the grace of God now gives way to deep sorrows because dreams are dashed. The confidence that Joseph would have had in the promises of God in his life give way to very serious doubts about God's care and God's concern for him. I mean, did you hear the joy leave Joseph's life? Look at verse 19. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Now the fact that Joseph is described in this passage as a just man, again, this has many layers. Perhaps he's a just man because he is not going to do the unnoble thing of marrying an adulterous woman. Perhaps he is a just man knowing that if he goes ahead and marries Mary, he would be implicitly admitting guilt. That it was him who actually was complicit in breaking God's law. But Matthew tells us there's actually a a, a more significant layer to this. He's unwilling to put her to shame. Joseph is a man of compassion. He doesn't want to embarrass Mary even further. He doesn't want to drag her before a public court proceeding in order to add and heap more upon her shame. Instead, he resolves to divorce her quietly, which essentially means... Can we get a couple of witnesses and can we settle this out of court? It's a move of compassion from Joseph. Joseph's life here becomes somewhat of a microcosm, a a small picture of Israel's situation. That's an interesting thing about this passage. See, the nation of Israel in this exact setting, the nation's life in some ways mirrors Joseph's. Deep and profound gladness in the grace of God for the nation of Israel was fleeting because they were being ruled over by an oppressive pagan people. It was painful. And a deep and profound confidence in the promises of God for the nation of Israel had given way to lots and lots of waiting and waiting and waiting. In 400 years of total silence with regard to the promises of God. At this moment, I'd love to ask you a question. Do you know in your own life, in your own situation, maybe even this morning, do you know what it feels like to have the joy in your life suctioned away? For some of you, you might know that feeling because it may have happened for you in an instant. Others know the feeling in a different way. Maybe it was like a slow leak of joy because of some kind of painful circumstance in your life. Do you know what Joseph feels in this scene? I'm going to say one more thing, and I'm 
I'm not sure this will make a lot of sense, but I'm going to try it. Do you know the kind of heartbreak that comes when your joy has been suctioned away, but you still know you're going to do the right thing? That's a particular kind of pain that Joseph is experiencing. Y'all, when I was preparing this sermon, I was at a dinner with some friends. This was just this past Thursday. I was at a dinner with some friends. We were celebrating. There was deep gladness because of a friend of ours' birthday being celebrated. There was laughter. There was deep gladness. And I looked down at my phone because my wife and I are out to dinner and uh, my parents are with my children, so I look down on my phone to make sure everything's okay, and I have four missed calls from my college roommate. My senior year of college, I lived with six other guys, and I see four missed calls from one of them. And I, and I step out of the restaurant, and I call my friend, and he tells me that one of her college roommates had been killed in a hunting accident that morning. And the laughter and the deep gladness I felt leave that table. I came back in with a white look on my face. They said, are you okay? And I said, yeah, that was, that was a lie. They said, are you sure? And I said, yeah. And then I, and then I shared, and, and the, the dinner was over. Joy suctioned away. We can't move on until you see that Joseph and Israel's situation was joyless in every way, and yours might be also this morning. But look at this second movement in the story, the story about the promises of God. Because if you read the Bible long enough, if you hang around church long enough, if you follow Jesus long enough, you'll start to realize that joyless situations are the Lord specialty. They're his place where he does some of his best work. And in verse 20, we see the Lord, the God, the living Lord of all things, we see him begin to go to work. And he goes to work by doing something the Lord so often does in the pages of Scripture. He sends someone with a message to make an announcement. Look at verse 20. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. An angel interrupts Joseph's despairing and joyless situation. And the angel comes and the angel does what the angels or messengers of the Lord so often do in the pages of the scriptures. They come, and let's just be honest, they come and they come and they ask a lot. And listen to what he's asking of Joseph. He's asking Joseph, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of the shame that will be heaped on you or Mary. To not be afraid of the accusations which will certainly come. 
Don't be afraid to have gladness in the grace of God. Don't be afraid to have confidence in the promises of God. And then the angel throws it out there that she's actually pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Now, Joseph's not stupid. Joseph realizes that the angel is asking of him something that the angels or messengers of God always ask of God's people. Believe in impossible things. And in this, we begin to see a pattern, don't we? This is, this is the way God works in the world. If I can use a Latin word or phrase, this is God's modus operandi, his M-O. This is what God does. I mean, think about Adam and Eve in the garden. Joyless situation because of their sin. They're hiding naked, ashamed, alone. And it's the Lord God who goes after them and makes them a promise that one day, I'm sending a serpent that will stomp on, I'm sending a, sending a savior that will stomp on the serpent's head. Think about Abraham in a joyless situation walking up a hill to sacrifice his own son Isaac and it's right there that the Lord interrupts and makes promises that because of Abraham's faith, his descendants would be more numerous than the sand on the seashore. Think about Moses in his joyless situation. The Lord comes in a burning bush and says, makes a promise that I'm going to lead my people out of bondage. Think about King David, shepherd boy out in the field, mostly forgotten about, but he's going to be the one to whom all the promises of this kingdom that will never end will be given. Think about the people of Israel in the bondage of exile and the promises that are given to them that one day they will be led home. In other words, this is what God does in joyless situations, he swoops in with his promises. And the promises that the angel announces here are, are really twofold. Number one, she will bear a son and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save the people from their sins. The angel promises that through this Jesus, salvation will be one for God's people. That the ultimate joy thief, which is Satan and evil and sin and darkness, would be defeated in this child fluttering around in Mary's belly. And the second promise, which is just as sweet, is that this child would be that Emmanuel, that God with us. See, there's an ancient promise from the prophets that one day God would come and he would come personally to usher God's rule and reign. And Joseph is being told by the angel that that baby fluttering around in Mary's belly is both the Savior and the long-awaited personal presence of the living Lord himself. I find this so interesting that Joseph responds to the promises with obedience. Verse 24, And Joseph woke from sleep he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, and Matthew wants to make it clear, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, 
and he called his name Jesus. Joseph responds in the way that we're always asked to respond to the promises of God with costly obedience and faith. Notice Joseph's life from this moment on will get no easier. It's important to note that he responds by faith in the promises of God. So we have Joseph in a joyless situation. We have the promises of God and the announcement from the angel that shows us somewhat of a pattern of how God works in the world. There's a third movement in this story. I think it's about the joy that's promised to you and to me. See, Joseph doesn't even know the half of it, does he? See, what Joseph does not know is that this tiny baby fluttering in Mary's belly will be born, will grow up, will show up on the scene teaching. And he's going to be teaching with an authority that no one's ever heard before. He's going to show up on the scene and he's going to be healing. Sometimes with a word, he banishes away diseases. Other times with a touch of compassion, he heals Sometimes when this baby who grows up, sometimes when he heals, he also throws it out there that their sins are forgiven as if he would have the authority to do such a thing. He tells demonic forces to leave and they have to. A stormy, raging sea will come and surround he and his disciples. And this Jesus will tell the storm to be quiet, and it will. This Jesus, the writer to the Hebrews says, because of the joy set before him, would endure the cross in fulfillment of this announcement to win salvation for you and me. Scriptures teach that that same Jesus who endured the cross and death on the cross, that a few days later he walks out of the grave as Lord over all. Amen. We're told that he ascends to the right hand of God, the Father Almighty, and at this very moment, this Lord Jesus, we're told, rules the universe by the word of his power, which means, among other things, that things are not always as they seem. Because it doesn't always look like Jesus rules the world, does it? Oh, but he does. This same Jesus fluttering around in Mary's belly, the Bible says at this very moment, prays for you. Jesus Christ prays for you. And as if all that were not enough, the scriptures teach that this same Jesus that he's returning to make things new and right. Isaiah 35 talks about the joy that will come one day for God's people. It says, And then the ransom of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be on their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy, and sorrow and sighing will flee away. This same Jesus is returning, and the scriptures teach that this Jesus 
creates a new heaven and a new earth. Listen to these words. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. Listen. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. The things that suck joy out of your life, one day the words will be spoken of them. Those are just former things. Verse 5, Revelation 21. And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write these things down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. Later on, the grand prize of your hopes and longings. God's people, they will see his face. His name will be on their foreheads, which is a way of saying he will finally and fully own you completely. Now for these promises that I just outlined for you, you must know you will have to wait. And waiting is hard. The great promise of the Christian life, my friends at Shades Valley Community Church, is not is not that you will not have sorrows. The great promise is that all your sorrows will give way to dancing. And your mourning will give way to unspeakable joy, to deep gladness in the grace of God, and to profound confidence in his promises. That's where things are going. And I want to say one more thing to you, and it's the hope of this season. That joy that will be yours fully and finally one day can be yours now. The joy that will be yours fully and finally, a taste of it can be yours now. It's like the full and final joy that's coming one day begins to work its way backward into the difficult things of your present situation. Like a window being pried open. And the rush of joy coming in, even if slowly. Friends at Shades Valley, you can have a deep gladness in the grace of God. And you can have deep confidence in his promises. And you can have that today. There is a hymn writer and a poet Because for these wonders that I just described to you, we really need poetry, don't we? But there is a hymn writer and a poet, and his name was William Cooper. And William Cooper, in many ways, lived a joyless life. Or maybe even more challenging, he lived a life, and some of you will relate with this, that went in spurts back and forth between joyless, but then joy but then joyless again, and then joy again. He lived a difficult life. He struggled deeply with depression. 
A few times his depression got so bad that he was put in an insane asylum. But the joy that the scriptures describe collided with the pain of his present situation. And he took up his pen. And he wrote a poem, hymn, called Joy in Believing. And I want to share it with you to close. In a particular dark time, he felt the rush of joy, the grace of God, the confidence in God's promises. He, he felt it come rushing in. He wrote these words. Sometimes a light surprises the Christian while he or she sings. It is the Lord who rises with healing in his wings. When all your comforts are declining, he grants the soul again a season of clear shining to cheer it after rain. In holy contemplation, we sweetly then pursue the theme of God's salvation, and we find it ever new. Set free from present sorrows, we can cheerfully say, even let the unknown tomorrow come and bring with it what it may. Because tomorrow, it can bring with it nothing, but he will bear us through. The one who gives the lilies clothing will clothe his people too. Beneath the spreading heavens, no creature is but fed, and he who feeds the ravens will give his children bread. Listen to these words. Though vine nor fig tree neither, their wanted fruit shall bear. Though all the field should wither, nor flocks nor herds be there. Yet God the same abiding, his praise shall tune my voice. For while in him I'm confiding, I cannot but rejoice. You will have joy fully and finally one day. And you can have it today.